Hello, I'm Annabelle Lee and welcome back to another episode of the Talking Classical podcast. I'm so pleased to be able to share this discussion, which I recorded last week with Ralph Allwood. I had the pleasure of playing under him in a concert about three years ago with the Old Royal Naval College Trinity Laban Chapel Choir, which he directs in a performance of J.S. Bach's Mass in B minor. So it was wonderful to be able to sit down and talk to him about his extensive career and approaches to choral directing, singing and teaching, as well as his pioneering work with the Rodolphus Choral Courses, formerly known as the Eton and Uppingham Choral Courses, and the Pimlico Musical Foundation, which enables children from Pimlico primary schools to sing in choirs, particularly at St Gabriel's Church. The Pimlico Musical Foundation has a concert on Wednesday the 30th of November, which Ralph will be conducting in, and features the foundation's choirs and singers. The Old Royal Naval College Trinity Laban Chapel Choir has their carol services on the 11th and 12th of December, and applications for next year's Rodolphus Choral Courses are now open. So, if you know of a singer from the age of eight and above, including adults, then make sure that you click on the links in the description so you can find out how to apply. There'll also be some links for the concerts that Ralph will be conducting later this year. Ralph is such a warm and inspirational personality. And so I think you're going to find this so motivational and uplifting and enlightening. Why don't we start off by talking about that wonderful concert that we did three years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I loved about the concert is that you make everybody feel just really comfortable uh, in the rehearsal. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah. And, yes. you know, you, you also do it with such humour as well. Oh, <laughs> um, of course, we have thank to all you. work hard and get the job done. Yes. But at the same time, yes. I think when you're with a group of musicians and you can feel a little bit scared, you don't really know each other, you've all got to be creative. Yes. But you have a great way of just bringing everyone together. And actually, because yeah. it's something like the B minor mass, you've got to absolutely just throw yourself into it and absolutely love every single yeah. minute. Yeah. Is that something that's really important to you as a director? Well, thank you. You are something that's absolutely central to what I do and as a teacher and after all when you uh, we're often in the role of teacher when we're organizing anything or certainly conducting things yeah I think of the greatest organizer as music mm -hmm. it is the greatest way of getting us to be disciplined yeah. all of us and what better piece than the B minor mass for doing that? Yeah. Because everybody can immediately recognise that it is a great piece of music. Yeah, definitely. And everybody, therefore, wants it to be good. So yeah. there's no need for me to be bossy. Yeah. The music is being bossy. <laughs> I'm chairing. And the more I've gone on, I, I mean, I went to, into a little school today to do some singing. Oh, just wonderful. This and... There's a big difference between teachers. Some teachers clap and shout and, and go shh and all that. Others, and there was a lovely lady in charge, there, there was complete calm in the class as I went in there. In fact, it was half the school, actually. And she was talking quietly. Yeah. And they were responding to her quietly. She didn't raise her voice once. And um, the more I've gone on, the more I've realised in all this, you don't need to push yourself 
because everybody wants to be there, everybody wants to do it as a team. Yeah. So um, that's how that's my policy with choirs, really. Yeah, and, and I, orchestras. I think also going back to um, the teaching, I think that you know you can't underestimate kids. You know they know if you're stressed, they can feel that you're stressed. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. And do you know when I was thirteen? Yeah. I remember sitting in a lesson and observing all of the teachers go past one by one during a day. And I know I was 13 because I can remember where I was sitting. And at the end of the day, I said to myself, Ralph, you know you want to be a teacher? Mm -hmm. I said, yes. I said, observe that none of these teachers fool you. Mm -hmm. You know exactly what's making them all tick. Yeah. And, and that's what I've remembered. I've remembered my advice to myself as a 13-year-old mm -hmm. uh, when I came to teach. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching, yeah. directing, anything. Yeah. yeah. So, so did you know that you always wanted to be a music teacher then? I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. It started off by being because I could uh, boss about lots of people all at the same time. <laughs> and then it turned into actually I can do a lot of good for people if I do. Yeah. <laughs> but it started off with being bossy. And then... Um, I, yes, I did. I knew I wanted to teach, but only only realised that I'd be good enough to teach music later on because other people were all sort of grade eight piano and all that, okay. which I'd never quite managed. Yeah. And uh, but you don't have to do that in order to teach it, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So, can you tell us a bit more about you, how your love of music came about? Well, I couldn't have avoided it really because. My parents, before they met each other, said individually to themselves, whoever my husband or wife is going to be, they must love music. <laughs> love music. Not, not necessarily be good at it, yeah. but they must love it. So when they got together, of course, they knew that they both loved music. And so they had five children who also loved music. And my father was quite an eccentric and in lots of ways and he used to wander around the house um, listening to us playing the piano and pointing out little chords that we used oh, okay and um, I don't know if you know about the Neapolitan sixth but <laughs> of course you do but he would say when it was one of his favorite chords um, and mine I'm, when it's used by Bach so it's superb <laughs> when it's used yeah. anyway if any of us used a Neapolitan or if there was one on the radio or on a record, he would yell out, Neapolitan! <laughs> <laughs> and I now teach harmony at Cambridge. Yeah. And it's, I love the thought, that connection with my father. And my mother did her grade eight piano when she was in her 50s. Wow. And you know, she said, I'm going to get grade eight. Yeah. Wonderful. Wow. So it started off with just kind of harmonising at the piano then, just improvising. Then? Precisely. Yeah. And I, if I had a rule for myself, I don't know how I did this, but I had a rule for myself that if I worked out a really good chord progression at the piano, I had to play it in all 12 keys oh, okay. before I allowed myself to invent another one. Wow. And what better preparation could there be for harmony and music? Say, and yeah, so yeah. I can play anything in any key as a result That's because amazing. I taught myself yeah. instinctively when yeah. I was in my teens. You know? Yeah. Amazing. Is, is that something that's come very natural to you then, improvising at the piano? Is it something, is it a skill that, you know, you've had to learn over time? Well, creativity, we try and teach creativity 
in my view, certainly for music, it's a lot more subtle than that. We teach the nuts and bolts of music, key signatures, chords, um, how to write things down, what other composers do and all that. And we set all of that up and the spark of creativity then comes from the individual if he has it. Now, I actually did have it. And so I used to spend half an hour a day playing, uh, just making things up. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a beautiful Steinway at school, my state school in Kingston. Mm -hmm. And I used to get in early so that I could just go and play it. And I simply used to get in early, go into the school hall, nobody else there, and just play and make things up at the Steinway because it made such a nice sound. Yeah, yeah. I remember the headmaster coming and listening entranced one day and telling me how much he enjoyed it, and mm -hmm. off he went. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. So you were educated at a state school. Yeah. Did you have a very musical education there? Fantastic. Yeah. We had the best possible music staff. A wonderful man, still alive, called David Neild, oh, okay. who was in charge of music, and Bruce Pullen, who was superb with the choir, had just come down from King's Cambridge, where he'd been singing under David Wilcox. And um, they were both very, very enthusiastic. David Neild was... They were both kind of eccentrically enthusiastic. Before them, there was a fellow called John Walker, who was amazing and very funny, made us laugh a lot, as well as putting on, the, with a state school, putting on the Dream of Gerontius mm. in St Paul's Cathedral with full orchestra, yeah. which he managed to raise the money for, and soloists of the day. I've still got the poster for it when amazing. I was 13, 1963. <laughs> wow. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I remember, go in the name of angels. <laughs> At that moment, I thought, oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. And was that the spark for you to kind of realise? It was one of the sparks. Yeah. I mean, my father was really intensely musical and my mother and school. I just was so fortunate. It was between two schools when I passed 11 plus. Yeah. Um, it was between, I don't often do well in exams, but I did in that one. Yeah. Um, it was between the schools, two schools, and we simply chose Tiffin in Kingston uh -huh. because it was the more musical. And I'm yeah. so pleased I did. Yeah. I still go there and teach sometimes and help out. It's an amazing place. Fantastic. Very, very well run. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. My wonderful headmaster, Brigadier J.J. Harper. Yeah. And aren't they particularly specialised in choral activities? They do, yeah. but they have an orchestra too. Yeah. And they do, They yes, they provide choirs for Royal Opera and ah, um, all sorts okay. of things as well, yeah. which is wonderful. So, you know, boys at their state school, that state school, can go to the festival hall and sing in Marla too. You yeah. Know? Amazing. Yeah. Which I think is so important and particularly with the work that you do because I think that there has been this perception that, you know, classical music, music education is for the rich and for the elite people who went to private schools, you know, certain yeah. universities. That's how it's becoming at yeah. the moment because it's cut by ignorant people who say that they must concentrate on the core subjects. That's not how learning works. You don't, if the core subjects you are, if you feel that the core subjects are neglected and not doing as well as enough, well enough, you don't find ways of making more time for them. It just doesn't work. If you, if a child is highly enthusiastic musically, get him or her to do plenty of music, and you'll find the other things come along in, in its wake. 
and it, it pulls other things along with them because they are a lively, a then a lively, spirited individual who loves music. Yeah. And we really need to get this across because at the moment, quite a lot of people think that in order to do better at the core subjects, you should um, give up other things. And that's mm -hmm. complete rubbish. Mm -hmm. And so music is one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things that certain people love and will thrive doing. And some people just don't know that. And that's why I've started this thing with a vic local vicar called Pimlico Musical Foundation. Oh, wonderful. Which is, I've just been into one of the schools this morning, oh, yes, yes. getting them to sing. Yes. They were loving it. They, and we've got a concert um, next Wednesday. Amazing. They all love it and they wouldn't be doing it otherwise. Mm. Well, we'll just hold that thought there. We'll come back to that later. Yeah. Where did you train after Tiffin? I went to Durham to do maths and physics. Yay, Durham, <laughs> go Durham. <laughs> yeah, which college were you? Uh, John's. Oh, were you? Music. Van Mildred. Van Mildred. Yeah. And um, I went to do maths and physics. Um, my father was a mathematician oh, and, okay. and, and engineer. And, and I then thought, hang on, I'd like to do subsidiary music. And they told me I couldn't because it didn't fit. Mm. And I put my foot down as a 19-year-old <laughs> and made it fit and made them made them show me that it did so I did subsidiary music and was invited to change course in in my second lesson and um, <laughs> and but I delayed then I thought it was sensible to delay till the second year when I went back to the beginning and did music and I'm pleased I did take an extra year yeah and so then I studied music then I went off did a PGCE and and taught in schools amazing what was your experience of Durham like Wonderful. Apart from Love the cold it. weather. <laughs> and in the, my second year, somebody said, um, um, we were having, actually, we were having a drink in the pub. And I said, how do you manage to afford all this? He said, oh, I've got a choral scholarship. Yeah. And so I said, oh, well, I'll do that as well. And so I sang in the cathedral for two years. Amazing. And um, it wasn't just so that I could afford beer, but, you know, that's how, <laughs> that's how the subject came up. Wow. And then I went and uh, did my PGCE in King's, Cambridge after that, yeah. and um, sang in King's Choir under Wilcox. Amazing. So um, that was an amazing opportunity, and yeah. I learned so much from him. Yeah. What were the main things that you learned from your time as a choral scholar in those incredible buildings well, and with those choirs? Every, I used to live next door to the cathedral because I was a choral scholar in a beautiful oh, okay. lodgings um, in the college right next to the river. Amazing. And um, subsidised. I mean, there were, I paid £1.50 a week for a beautiful wow. um, two-bedroom flat. <laughs> Seems anyway, unimaginable today. <laughs> I know, I know. I um, used to go and look at that beautiful rose window every morning as I went through to the music department. I just stood and looked I know. at it. In that, I know. It's so beautiful. I'm pleased I did Durham because it was an old-fashioned choir. Yeah. So it's the way choirs used to be organised and um, very little conducting. I, I'm very pro having very little conducting, but you've got to organise a few things. And um, we did all lots of old repertoire. I'm, I'm pleased I did because I got the experience of that with Leigh Clarks and one mm -hmm. of them had been a minor, um, lovely man, Bob Henderson, who had been a, a minor and so on. Then down to King's, and David Wilcox was one of the new gang who tra transformed um, singing, and there had been there had been chorus scholars only since 1918, and the last lay clerk actually came to Durham, and so I was I was singing in the place that the last lay clerk had 
kings. Anyway, and David, I learned so much from him about the, the technical things of, of singing, um, tuning, balance, blend, ensemble, really beautifully done, accurately done in everything. Mm. And of course, we're coming up to Christmas, those iconic carol arrangements that he did. Yeah, um, yeah brilliant. Yeah, all of those mm. harmonies, I know they're so well loved by choral singers all over the world, aren't I they? I know. He arranged them for brass as well. Oh, and did he? Uh, they were they were done for a television programme. And my brother was one of those that, that copied out the parts at the last minute on the bus Whoa. going to Ely where they <laughs> recorded them. <laughs> Amazing. So you know, even David Wilcox was a last minuter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amazing. So did you know that choral singing was going to be the direction that you'd then go down um, in tandem with your music teaching? Well, yes, because I remember when I was at school at Tiffin, hearing the school choir, I wasn't in the school choir at that time, hearing the school choir singing Berlioz, Thou Must Leave Thy Lowly Dwellings, and thinking, this is astonishing, I love this. And, and that was one of the things, that and Gerontius in St Paul's Cathedral was one of the things that made me think I'd love to do it. And then when I saw, I just, I remember looking at the director of music, David Neild, and saying, if somebody as estimable as that can be a music teacher, then so can I. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I thought, right, that's what I want to do. Because yeah. I wanted to teach and I adored music, so there we are. Yeah, and I mean, you've gone on to teach music at a number of excellent schools, but most notably you were the director of music at Eton for yes. 26 years. Yes. What was it like being at Eton and going into a school that is just so, it has such a history, it's so famous all over the world and maybe there were some preconceptions about what it was like to the outside public? Yes. My advice to everybody is what you hear about Eton from anyone who wasn't actually there yeah. is normally wrong. Yeah, I yeah. shudder when I hear people say things. Number one thing about Eton is that it is a fantastically good school yeah. with superb teachers. Yeah. I mean, forgetting me, but, you know, superb <laughs> teachers. And it is. it also has extremely generous scholarships. So masses are able to go there without paying the fees. Yeah. And I've known several who've come from quite different backgrounds yeah. from what you associate with Eton, who've gone there and they immediately are one of the gang. Yeah. You know, they're immediately accepted. It's a kind place, it has humanity. It isn't one of the, you know, when people talk about boarding schools. And yeah, it, it's yeah, nothing. There's nothing like that. If they're all, it's main. It's because you know there's a good bunch of housemasters who really look after things and make sure that everybody is happy and content and well looked after. Yeah. To give you just one example, the headmaster in my time decided to drop out of the league table business mm -hmm. because the league tables only only assess academic yes. um, excellence. Yes. And we were second in the league tables. Mm. And um, he dropped out, which I thought was a wonderfully courageous thing to yeah. do. He dropped out completely because we said, no, they're not testing the right things. No. We, we want to be tested on our other activities, how we look after people, yeah. the relationships between people. Show you a well-rounded school. How kind yeah. the place is. And it was a very kind place. Extremely well-organised, but kind. Uh -huh. Extremely well-organised in the sense that 
if something went wrong, people were understanding right. and didn't say, harumph, okay. why has it gone wow, wrong? Wow, that's, that's really cool. So I, I, I haven't got any criticism of Eton at all. I think it, yeah. it, it's just extraordinarily well run. Yeah. And everybody feels in, at home there. Everybody. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So over the period that you were the director, how did you see the music curriculum, the extracurricular activities evolve during that time and what did you do to encourage the music there? Well, it was pretty well organised by my predecessor. Yeah. He got some wonderful things organised such that um, the choir was actually part of a tutorial time. It was so, and the orchestra in the evenings at a really good time when others were doing their extra work, their prep and the homework. So timetable-wise, it was extremely well done. So really, he'd set it up so well for me, all I had to do was make sure that I'm, and I think I helped make, choose good music, get more involved, just encourage the humanity of the place and uh, encourage people to be good to each other and play as teams and, you know, so I was really keeping up the good work of my predecessor, Graham Smallbone, who went yeah. on to be a headmaster. Mm -hmm. And Eton is known for having a very large chapel choir. What was it yeah. like running that? Well, I made it 54 ah, okay. to fit into, so six nine, six rows of nine, because one of the reasons is that things become more popular if you have a waiting list. Ah, and, okay. and so if you're known ah. to have a waiting list, people say, oh, are you yeah. on the waiting list? Yeah. Oh, you know. And so we, I did start, um, the thing I started actually was Lower Chapel. There, there are two chapels at Eton. Ah, okay. Obviously, Eton's got to have two chapels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was Lower Chapel for the younger boys. So there was a little choir there, but I developed that considerably and put somebody in charge who's still in charge of it, and brilliant, Matthew O'Donovan, with the boys with changing voices singing that so they can all, all be helped yes. in their changing. Yes, And then... We have professional sopranos in lower chapel choir who come in to help mm -hmm. so that you can have a full choir and do all the proper repertoire. But the best boy choristers come to college chapel choir and used to come to me. And, and my successor has kept that going. So all of the young boys who can sing treble really well. And the, our generous scholarships meant that we could get the best trebles from all over the place mm. to come along and come along and join us provided they were up to it academically yeah and definitely. having music scholarships yeah that's so cool that you had a waiting list for yeah. the choir because yeah. I mean there has been you know this preconception over the years that particularly boys and guys who sing sometimes they can get a little bit of backlash yes um yeah but it's just so cool to hear that actually you really encouraged, yeah. you know, and it seemed like they genuinely wanted to. Well, you know. when they arrived at the school from their pre previous schools, knowing that at previous schools, quite a lot of them would say, I'm not being in the choir yeah. because they'd had bad experiences. Exactly, yeah. I um, had a very subtle, I think I can say, subtle system in um, where there was a senior boy from each house, 24 houses or something, and that senior boy and the housemaster, I would write to them saying, please can you make absolutely certain that every boy who would like singing in the choir and wants to comes forward for audition. Mm -hmm. That 
as I arrived, the auditions were compulsory for everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I abolished that immediately. Yeah. As I did in all three schools I've run the music at, I abolished compulsory auditions because you don't want the you don't want it to go around that you've got compulsory auditions. Go, mm. Oh, God, we've got the choir. I don't want to yeah. do that, you know. <laughs> I only want those who want to be in the choir, but I set up a subtle system for encouragement of anyone who would like it, but had been put off it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because one of the questions I was going to ask you, actually, is do you have any advice for you know people who might feel a bit scared about joining a choir because they yeah. may have received those yeah. negative comments in yeah. the future even you know really competent musicians who yeah. have to do choir at you know conservatoire yeah. or yeah. whatever yeah. So. yeah advice for those people is probably uh, to go along and sit in the back row and <laughs> and uh, keep out of the way there was a girl this morning in a choir i was taking a little a youngster's choir um uh, 10 years old and there were about 12 of them. And the girl wasn't singing, oh. so she was hiding behind the girl in front yeah, of her so that yeah. I wouldn't see that she wasn't singing. Yeah. And I quietly said to her, it's okay not to sing. Don't, oh. don't, just stand in a normal place yeah. and don't sing. If I had longer, yeah. I would have got her to do something like turn over pages or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because I know that patience in, in teaching is one of the great things. Yes. I would just let her do that. It's the same as with people who can't quite pitch a note. And I will say, they go, oh, instead of singing the right note. Mm -hmm. Let them, let them, let right, them. Right, yeah. And if they don't want to sing, they won't. But if they do want to sing, they will make that noise. Yeah. So let them make that noise. And in my experience, every single one of them who makes that noise ends up singing the right notes and pitching. If they don't want to make the noise, they won't. They'll mouth it and I'll yeah. think they're singing. Occasionally you hear of teachers, all too often you hear of teachers saying, oh, you bet, you'd better just mime in the concert yeah. because, no, yeah. he wants to sing, she wants to sing. Yeah. She will do it. I promise teachers they will manage to do it eventually if you're just patient, patient, patient. Yeah. I mean, your approach is just so nurturing and so safe and supportive because, you know, there are a lot of programmes on the TV at the moment where people instantly judge you, you know, if you, you either can sing or you can't sing, and yeah. if you can't sing, yeah. then you'll never be able to sing. Yeah, yeah. And well, send them yeah. to me. <laughs> Let me know, I will get in touch with yeah. them and I'll say, no, I'll tell you how to do it. Yeah. That's not the way. Yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, I just, I mean, everybody, apparently, you know, everybody is born with perfect pitch, yeah. but apparently it's the way, how, how you use it. Um, yes. yeah. it's not perfect pitch. Oh, is it not? <laughs> no. Um, that term is abused a lot. Oh, okay. it, it's got wrong. But you, um, yes, you're um, born with the ability to match pitch. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, is there time for a story? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Go for well, it. I, <laughs> we love stories. Yeah, I went to, I once went to, I used to go to teachers' conferences. I still do, actually, um, just to learn a few things, meet a few people, even if I, even if the, if the title seemed to be gobbledygook. Anyway, I went one morning and somebody stood up. There were about 30 teachers. And I'd said to myself, Ralph, you're not to interrupt or say anything today. Just learn. Don't say anything, okay? Just learn from everybody else. So I said, yes, yes. And I sat at the back. Nine o'clock in the morning, somebody came on, hall, hall full of teachers. 
and she said, I'd like to introduce today's session on developmental learning or whatever it was with an analogy from singing. And I thought, uh-uh, and this was all <laughs> teachers. It wasn't just music teachers, it was all teachers, you see. An analogy from singing. Now, I'm tone deaf, she said. And from the back, I said, no, you're not. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so yes, Ralph. Within the first half minute, I'd interrupted. And I said, I'm really sorry to interrupt. But more damage is done by that word, those two words put together, tone and deaf. Mm -hmm. I can hardly utter them because they're so horrific that so much damage is done and people stop singing who would love it if they were just given a few weeks to find their voice. Please never use that term. And by the way, you are not tone deaf. Mm. <laughs> That's amazing. And lots of teachers came to me all day saying, oh, do you mean that I could sing as well? I, yes, dear. If you want to, if you don't want to, then fine. And yeah. one or two people don't want to, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you want to, then yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that would lead us quite nicely into talking about those choral courses, the Rodolphus choral courses oh, that you've yes. been doing, yeah. um, where, you know, I guess coming back to our point about welcoming people from all backgrounds into yeah. singing, yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about how these came about? Because these have just been so pioneering, so transformational for the music world. I didn't come from a singing family. I came from a highly musical family that loved music, and I'm very grateful for that. Nobody suggested anything about a choir school because we didn't know about them really no. um, and yet um, children all over this country more than any other country in the world have the opportunity to sing glorious music seven times a week and I've never known anybody after that uh, later on in life say if only I'd done less music I would have got better exams mm. nobody ever says that and look at those eight-year-old nine-year-old children singing for the funeral recently in Westminster Abbey. And, you know. know, alongside highly experienced um, men and women yeah. who, who trained all their lives for the jobs they were doing. Yeah. These little fellows um, and girls, amazing. Anyway, also choral scholarships at universities. In those days, when I started the courses, they were only at Oxford and Cambridge. Yes. So I started choral courses for people to learn to be choral scholars at, at university, at Oxford and Cambridge, partly because nobody knew about them. Or my state school was one of the few state schools that did know about them. Yeah. And in those days, I was at Uppingham School. So, so sorry, how did people find out? Obviously, it was, there was no internet, there was no social media at the time. So was it just word of mouth? Or? I just addressed lots and lots of envelopes yeah. and got some brochures done. I've still got the brochures <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, from that first one in 1980 and sent them all off to loads of places and phoned my friends in, in, at various schools saying, please encourage your most enthusiastic to come. And we had about 30 or 40 people on the first, on the first course yeah. and they all loved it. And what's more, they m managed a very, very good standard. And I thought, oh, this is fun because it was actually the best best choir that I was conducting at yeah, the time. Okay. So, um, and they rapidly expanded to two and then Barry Rose came and did one and said, this is very good, Ralph. Would you like to broadcast an even song next year on Radio 3? I said, certainly, you bet. So mm -hmm. we did. And that brought, that brought more and more people in and gradually they've developed. We started junior courses 12 years ago 
and we're just starting an adults course this year. Amazing. Uh, well, and I hope I'll get people who loved doing choral courses, but are now over 21, so they oh, can't. Okay. Uh, that's the idea anyway. And of course they are teaching. This is what I hear some people say, how can we get more people on our summer course? And it's kind of jolly. And, and, but actually, believe it or not, young people want to learn. In fact, old people want to learn as well. Yeah. Everybody wants to learn. Yeah, yeah. So they'll go on a course because it teaches them something. So we have the best singing teachers on the courses and we have a younger staff of people who lead them in consort singing as well. On the first course in Uppingham in 1980, I left the afternoons for pursuits, as we called them, oh, like, okay. like sports yeah. and things like that. I thought, you know, they'll sing in the morning, sing in the evening, but yeah. have the afternoon off. A bit free time. They mostly formed themselves into singing groups in oh. the afternoon. They didn't bother about the sport oh, and the okay. swimming and everything. Wow. They formed themselves into little groups. So yeah. I thought, right, you're trying to tell me something. So the next year, we had music and singing going on all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no breaks for... for pursuits and things Ooh, okay so, so they were called consort groups and we've had them ever since the consort groups mm -hmm. and so um, they're developing this year obviously we need a rejuvenation after lockdown and stuff yes but that's all happening and I've I've found renewed enthusiasm mm -hmm. is it quite a demanding course because singing for probably up to eight hours every day for a week that must be quite tiring particularly on young people's voices we start off with Normally Alexander sessions yes. on the f very first full day and we have teachers doing warm-ups and things who explain. So there's massive explaining about how to save your voice mm -hmm. and we all look round for any that might be trying too hard. Ah, you know, yes. and, and having And we reckon we have a very good record of not tiring voices mm -hmm. because they know how to look after them and all of the staff are careful and look out for the signs you know somebody with a yeah. stretched neck Bulging or something veins and yeah so yeah. i think we i think we manage that yeah and if anybody does seem to be tired we'll say right sit Take down don't sing for a bit yeah and, and have a session with your singing teacher yeah and, uh, and we'll work out when you can come back yeah so who typically comes on a choral course then? Is it people who mainly want to get choral scholarships or is it people who simply want to come and yeah. enjoy their love of singing? It's now much more those who want to come and enjoy a love of singing. Of course we get a disproportionate number from independent schools Yes. because independent schools sing. Yes. And independent schools sing to a high enough standard for people to absolutely love it. Yes. And my thing is never to try and get the to try and get the proportion right by adjusting, you know, by saying, oh, we, we're going to keep more places for state school people. That's really interesting. We let every single person come in that wants to come. There is no auditions. But the way I go about trying to get more state school people is by founding the Pimlico Musical Foundation, mm -hmm. for example, yeah. and getting them as much publicity as we can so that other places will do the same, yeah. so that we get singing, like I was doing this morning, into state schools. And with any luck, some of those little characters will come along and join choral courses one day. They'll come into the Pimlico Musical Foundation Children's Choir and then go up to my other choir nearby, which is the, a teenage choir called Inner Voices, mm -hmm. and uh, then join a choral course and perhaps go to university with a choral scholarship, which is now happening. And I want it to be copied in other parts of the country. Yeah.
Yeah, that's really cool. So tell us a little bit more then about the Pimlico Musical Foundation. Well, six years ago, I thought what I just told you before about yeah. only a few people knowing about, about, about chorister ships, even though Britain do, does, does them better than any other place. <laughs> And not many people know about it. So uh, I thought, why is that? Let's take it to them. Let's take our choral tradition to them. So I mentioned it to the vicar, Father Owen Higgs, who was mm -hmm. very enthusiastic about it. And he ran with it. So we are now a charity with uh, a charitable foundation. And instead of lay clocks, the back rows of most cathedral choirs, the altos, tens and basses, we have some professional singers called teacher singers mm -hmm. to make the point that they teach the children as well and I was working with one of them today in in that school she came along to help me and every now and then I'd wanted a soprano to demonstrate something so she would sing it to them and, and so on there's a lot of enthusiasm and they and we've got a concert next Wednesday called Earth Sky and Stars in which we sing all sorts of songs of, uh, associated with that and we sing Evensong on a on a Wednesday. Evensong is the best kept secret of the Church of England. It's for it only takes three quarters of an hour. It has lots of music against words, so there's music going on most of the time. Some glorious music has been written for Evensong and we like to encourage people of all faiths and none to go to it. You don't have to be a believer. Mm. You don't have to be a Christian to go to it. You can go and just listen to it, which lots of people do. Yeah. There is something very escapist about Evensong when I've been, but there's yeah. also, it also feels very kind of participatory and inclusive as well because you are encouraged to, you know, sing with the hymns. There's usually only one hymn, if that. So yes. if you go to a cathedral, you can be sitting down a lot of the time um, listening and just ha be in a kind of meditative state and listen to it. Yeah, yeah. You work, of course, with a huge variety of choirs, the kids' choirs, um, the pre-professionals, and um, let's not forget those uh, virtual choirs from two oh, years yes, ago. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Do you, yeah. Is there one particular choir that you know stands out for you? Um, the one that I'm loving working with at, at the moment is the Old Royal Naval College Chapel yes. in Greenwich. They are the only conservatoire chapel choir in the world. Wow. And they also have the longest name of a choir in the world, <laughs> the Old Royal Naval College Trinity Laban yeah. Chapel And I love them. They're yeah. wonderful. There are about 30 of them and there are some generous choral scholarships which go right back to the beginning of the foundation of Trinity College London which was founded as a church music college. Yes. Did you know that? Trinity? No, not at all, yeah. no, no. It was first of all a church music college, and then it became it taught instruments and became much more broad, and now it's gone from um, just north of Oxford Street, um, Mandeville Place, it's gone from there to Greenwich, and has this fantastic, fantastic chapel and buildings. So... Um, I, I love them. We do Evensong on a Monday at 5.30, good old Evensong. Mm -hmm. And we do morning service, Eucharist, communion on Sunday morning during term time. And mm -hmm. we've got a carol service in two weeks' time, of course, mm -hmm. like everyone else. Yeah. So they're probably my... Um, Rodolphus Choir, of course, are wonderful, um, but they're not regular. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Inner Voices, which I love, which come on with leaps and bounds. That's an old pupil of mine called Edward Watkins, mm -hmm. who said to me when I left Eton, 
I think children around here, teenagers around here can have as good a choir as I sang in when I was at Eton, he said, because he now teaches in London. And so um, I'd like you to conduct it and I'm going to organise it. I said, that sounds like an excellent deal. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so they're still going uh, 11 years later. And uh, we sing all over the place, and they, they're very keen teenagers, loving their singing, mm -hmm. doing the best repertoire. Yeah. I remember that when we did the concert, it was interesting observing you leading the, the Trinity Love and Chapel Choir, because yeah, yeah. They're, going through, they're, they're going through that strange transition, aren't they, between you know, leaving school and adulthood, trying yeah. to find themselves yeah. musically, yeah. but also personally. And I noticed sometimes you just had to rein them in a little bit sometimes yeah, when they yeah. were kind of going yeah. off the beaten track. There's always there's, there's often one. Actually, at the moment, I don't have to do that at all. Yeah. You know? But you, as a teacher and a director of choirs, you have to accept that they're going to be some unusual people sometimes, some characters yeah. who like drawing attention to themselves. Yeah. You know. So you know, one has one's tricks for dealing with them. Like. Um, <laughs> well. It's amazing how ignoring it often works oh. because people quite often are drawing attention to themselves by doing it. Also by rearranging people where they sit. Would you mind coming and sitting over here? Mm -hmm. And could you sit over, no, no, swap with her there. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, you come along to the end. Thank you very much. And of course, you don't have to say why. Yeah. You're the director. They assume that it's for musical reasons. Actually, it's probably because that guy it, it keeps mucking about with that one, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you'd say you move that one further away. I also, in choirs, like to mix them up totally. I like to scramble them so that you ah. have sopranos next to tenors, next to altos, next to basses. And it's amazing how people think that they won't get the notes right. Wrong. They get the notes right. And what's more, if you're singing with S-A-T-B all round you, soprano and alto tenor bass all round you, you sing much better because you blend with them and you hear the ah. whole piece and it's more fun yeah. because you can hear everything. Hmm. So you're, you don't particularly advocate the sopranos being together in one cluster, the tenors, basses, altos then? With less experienced choirs, yes, I do that. Yeah. But even I, with my choral society, I've mixed them all up. And Windsor and Eaton Choral Society, they're a very, very good choral society, uh, which I used to conduct. I used to mix them all up sometimes. And they used to say, what? Mix us up, we'll never get it right. Yeah. I, I said, try it. And they do. Because you can still hear your part if you need to, but it's just a bit more distant. But you can hear everyone else all round. Yeah. And it's more fun. Yeah. I'd love to finish off by talking about that amazing documentary from a few years ago a boy called alex oh did you see it, it? was oh, amazing lovely. Yeah. oh how marvelous yeah, yeah. how did it yeah. come about <laughs> well that's in a way that's the best part of the story is how it yeah. came about because this little fellow came up to me age 15 yes and said sir this was at eton yeah. and said sir i'd like to conduct the bark magnificat mm -hmm. <laughs> and boys at eton conducted things a lot themselves. Yeah. Well, Richard Gowers conducted the Brahms Requiem. And they all had to be organised by the boy. And they, it has to be boys playing and singing and nobody from outside and all organised, of course, with us to help, with staff to help, but organised by them. 
Anyway, so this 15-year-old said, can I conduct the park radio again? And I said, oh, Alex, I could choose so many pieces which are just as nourishing as the Bach Magnificat, but not as difficult. And he looked disappointed. He said, no, it's got to be the Bach yeah. Magnificat. Yeah, yeah. Then realising that it would be difficult to get various teachers' permission for their pupils to play the Bach and sing the Bach Magnificat, I said, right, you've got to get the permission of the head of strings, head of wind, head of brass, and the teach the singing teacher of whoever would sing Deposuit, because that's so, you know, <laughs> Very extremely difficult. Yes. And he came back to me three days later and said, they all say yes. <laughs> and I said, I said, okay, you can do it. The, tr the catch is that he had cystic fibrosis. Yes. And so his lungs had wasted away yes. half already yeah. and very weak. And Eaton provided him with an electric scooter, which he used to charge around the place with the music. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> Three weeks later, I was on a plane to Princeton to do a singing workshop thing. And I was ready to re read my book. And I saw someone coming down the aisle. And I remember thinking, if you start talking to me, I will discuss, I will talk to you because you look interesting. Amazing. He sat next to me. I started talking to him. He was furious to start with because he wanted to read his book. Yeah. But we then talked for six hours in the flight. Yeah. After an hour, I said, oh, what do you do? I make documentaries. <gasps> yeah. After another half hour, I had an idea. And I said, can I try, <laughs> an, can I try an idea out on yeah. you? And he, his face fell because everybody tries an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I told him, he said, actually, can I meet this boy? <laughs> and it happened. That's how it happened. Yeah. Channel 4. What really struck me about the documentary was just his tenacity. Yeah. And, you yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah, just despite, yeah. you know, everybody kind of opposing him, you and, you know, everyone saying, you know, oh, you shouldn't do it. He was so determined. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, of course, the results showed for yeah. himself in that final yeah. performance, didn't they? And they've now found a pill that helps people with cystic fibrosis. Amazing. So he's got a new lease of life. Yeah. He looks quite different and, wow. and better. He's yeah. not recovered, no. but he, he is amazingly better. Yeah. So uh, that's the news that everybody wants to hear when they talk about that documentary. Yeah. Uh, how is he? <laughs> yeah, you know, thinking yeah. he might have died, but no, no. No. He's all right. That must be amazing. And it, yeah. must, it must be just so, we were just saying at the beginning, it, just be, it must be so amazing just to see so many of your students, you know, flying the nest and doing so well, Absolutely. you know, yeah. whether that's here in the UK, yeah. overseas. Yeah. 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 No, it is. It is amazing. I saw some last night because we had a reunion from Uppingham School where amazing. I was before, before Eton. Yeah. And uh, they're all doing wonderful things. So yeah. It's lovely to chat to them and laugh about the old story. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. On that note, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Ralph. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Talking Classical podcast. I do hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other major outlets where you get your podcasts. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube or the Talking Classical blog. If you have a moment, please would you leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts as this will help to increase visibility and get the podcast to more people. Many thanks for listening once again and I hope that you'll be able to join me for another podcast very soon. Bye for now!